Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt, and I'm a board-certified integrative and functional nutritionist. I live on the seacoast of New Hampshire and work with clients in my virtual practice all over the world through private consultations and online nutrition and functional medicine programs. Functional medicine nutrition is all about diving deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. And that's exactly what I tackle in this podcast. All things health, food, and nutrition. Unpacking current research and almost a decade of clinical experience. I love to bring experts and thought leaders to the table so we can all learn together. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive in. Okay, we're back with cortisol, DHEA, and adrenal testing part two. Um, I'm going to dive right in because we got a lot to cover today. So if you're the, the person that fast forwards through the beginning stuff because you don't want to hear me talk. Sorry, you're going to miss a lot of stuff today. Um, if you haven't already listened to part one last week's episode, go back there um, because this episode isn't probably not going to make a ton of sense without the context of that part one. Um, and I got so much feedback on part one. So many people reached out and were, was like, oh my God, this is exactly me. You are describing me to a T. And I'm like, yes, totally, exactly. Um, because I was seeing this over and over and over again in practice. I have extel- uh, extensive health history forms. If you've ever worked with me one-on-one, you know how many questions I ask in the beginning. And I just kept seeing this stuff. I kept seeing all of these symptoms of adrenal burnout and stress and mismanaged cortisol show up. And so I realized like, oh yeah, this is a thing. This is a real thing for a lot of us. And that is why I spent eight months of my life creating a program to help people with exactly this issue. So again, go back, listen to part one if you haven't done so already. And now on Instagram, I did I did do a post where I showcased um, different examples of what certain labs looked like. So if you're a visual learner, uh, be sure to check out that post. I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, they're just different snapshots of the Dutch test. So it kind of goes um, with what I'm talking about today. So if what I'm talking about today is a little confusing and you want the visual representation, that post covers it all. Uh, the Dutch test results is like a 16-page document. So obviously, I'm not going to showcase the entire document, uh, but just a small screen grab to showcase our discuss- discussion on cortisol and DHEA. I do... In my IGTV, I do have, I went over last year my own Dutch test results. So you could grab that if you want to see what like the the overall Dutch test results look like. You can get that in IGTV, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, let's dive in. So we were talking about cortisol last week and um, some scary stuff that can happen when cortisol goes unchecked. But it's really, really important to note that cortisol is not bad right? It's a hormone in our body and the body wouldn't create something that's overtly destructive. The body believes in efficiency and homeostasis. The body wants you to be in harmony. The body wants you to have good cell signaling, metabolic function, hormonal balance. Um, The body wants you to be able to calm down and relax more often than being revved up. But, um, like with anything, too much of a good thing can become problematic. So we really need to function in this this balance, this symphony. The body, especially when it comes to hormones, there's a very, very delicate balance. And if we we go beyond that balance or out of balance, it can create pretty profound problems. So let's talk about the good stuff that cortisol does, some of the functions of cortisol, because again, it's a hormone. Our body produces it for a reason. The first place I'm going to start off is that it can promote the burning of 
body fat. And the reason that I brought this up is because the reason I'm, I'm, I'm starting here is because I did get a question about this. Um, we tend to think of cortisol as the hormone that causes us to gain weight around the middle, right? Um, if you do a Google search or you've ever picked up a magazine at the grocery store at the checkout line, you will definitely see cortisol come up, um, you know, in relation to the words like spare tire or muffin top. It's that middle of the body weight gain that we, that we kind of criticize cortisol for, but I got the question, well, what about cortisol's effects on fat burn? The, here's the deal with that. Cortisol helps to increase the body's energy in times of stress. Cortisol is a glucocorticoid. That's the classification of hormone that it is, the, the type of compound that it is. So glucocorticoids mobilize energy like glucose, hence glucocorticoid, right? And other substances in order to fuel action. So cortisol will increase the availability of all fuel substrates, right? So that includes glucose. It will mobilize glucose. It will mobilize free fatty acids. Um, so it will break down our own fat tissue in order to free up fatty acids. And that's where the fat burn comes into play. And it also does the same thing with amino acids, those protein building blocks. So it takes all of these substrates from endogenous stores. That means from our own body. So it's, it's pulling glucose maybe out of storage. Um, it's, it's pulling, um, those fatty acids from our adipose tissue. It's pulling amino acids wherever it can get it from the muscle tissue, sometimes from the gut lining, Cortisol, for this reason, causes blood glucose to rise. Um, and so, because we're pulling glucose out of stores, right, and it causes the the glucose to rise. And we've talked about this on the show before. One of the one of the um, mechanisms, one of the reasons that we have cortisol is to raise blood sugar when blood sugar is low. If blood sugar gets too low, it has a dramatic impact on the brain, on the brain's function. So we have to always prioritize survival. And of course, that means we have to protect the brain. So cortisol is going to run to the rescue and raise the glucose levels so your brain can function and so you can survive. Um, the issue with that and why we don't want to rely on cortisol as like a weight loss tool, the issue is that is if you have these excessive glucose levels, they're typically converted into fat and they end up as stored fat right? So maybe a little bit of cortisol bump can free up those fatty acids, but long-term cortisol over time will actually cause your body to store fat. And on top of that, um, adipose tissue can actually uh, convert more cortisol. So the more fat you have on your body, the more cortisol that you can actually make. So again, in short, I wouldn't rely on stress as a weight loss tactic, because that's what cortisol, high cortisol is. It's a stress response in your body. It's a survival mechanism. Um, maybe uh, a short burst of cortisol, like from high intensity interval training, right? Because we know that intense exercise can bump up our cortisol short term. Maybe a little bit of that can stimulate the breakdown of your own fat tissue to help promote fat loss. Absolutely. But this ongoing chronic stress that we're talking about that so many people experience, that's actually more likely to cause you to gain weight and retain weight than to lose weight. Um, so that was a great question. I totally, totally get where the, where she was coming from. Um, so hopefully that helps to get you to understand it a little bit better. And I do want to say this before we move on, because I operated under an eating disorder mentality for a long, long time, we can manipulate data so it fits our own beliefs. We can hear what we want to hear. We can hear what we want to believe, right? We can take words and sort of uh, manipulate them so they fit our own, the, the own structure of thoughts that we're already living in. So when I'm talking about things that increase stress in the body last week and this week, right? Uh, things that increase cortisol in the body, things like interval training, intermittent fasting, low calorie diets, fasting, um, and then when I say cortisol can mobilize fatty acids, and then you think, great, I'm going to do all the things to increase my cortisol to increase fat burn. If at all that is your mindset 
or you know, those are the thoughts rolling around in your head right now. Watch yourself there if you start to go down that line of think thinking. And I say that with deep compassion, respect, and understanding. The only reason I can call this out is because I I you know lived for so long with that mentality and that mindset, and I see it come up in clinic. Um, and this is not me pointing fingers or judging. It's just to say, hey, hey, watch this. You know, watch this. Um, actually, one of my one of my most loyal podcast listeners and an old client of mine just sent me a bumper sticker, a sticker in the mail that said, diet culture is a liar, right? So maybe that can be your mantra when those thoughts pop up in your head. Okay, so let's talk about other functions of cortisol. Why do we have cortisol? What does it do? It maintains the mood and emotional stability. It directs secretory IgA. We talked about that last week um, and how important that is for overall immune health, uh, for gut function, just all of it. Um, Cortisol can direct ovarian hormones Cortisol counters inflammation and allergies, and it can also maintain resistance to stress. So this is all when cortisol is happening in balance. Um, Cortisol is a very, very potent anti-inflammatory. It prevents the widespread tissue and nerve damage that is associated with inflammation. But again, this is what it does when it's imbalanced. It has all of these really important and therapeutic effects. Um... And those effects are really widespread because there are glucocorticoid receptors that are found in almost every single cell of the body. So when we're stressed out for a long time, when cortisol kind of runs amok unchecked, when we're just like cranking through cortisol because our body is convinced it's in a a, a massive um, fight or flight stress response, this can affect almost every single part of the body. And I feel like people with cortisol imbalance can feel really crappy, but without specific labs, they don't know why they're feeling crappy. So there becomes this internal dialogue of, oh, don't be such a baby, just get over it, just deal with it, just power through. And the longer that we go through this, and the longer that we convince ourselves nothing's wrong or that we're crazy um, without actually acting on it, the more devastating the effects can be. So these are some disease states and conditions that are associated with dysregulated cortisol. Diabetes, cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, elevated blood lipids, um, infectious disease, GI stuff, um, that's digestive tract, gut health stuff, autoimmune disease. Um, I talked about last week how for my autoimmune illness, I would say stress is the biggest trigger for for me. Um, And that is backed up by labs and that is backed up by my husband paying attention. And that's also backed up by my rheumatologist who's a conventional rheumatologist, you know? Um, And he's he's also saying like, hey, stress is your biggest trigger. So it's it's a big deal. Um, Inflammatory illness, infertility. Um, there's a very big connection between cortisol and those ovarian hormones, uh, menstrual irregularities, osteoporosis, chemical sensitivities, Alzheimer's, depression, and chronic fatigue syndrome. So that's a lot, you know. And when cortisol is out of balance, it's going to af- it can affect everything from top to tail. Um, and this is why correcting the adrenal response makes such a big difference to overall health. And again, it's why I spent eight months of my life creating a program to address this specific issue. And I also want to just touch upon the, you know, we have different types of stress stress hormones. Um, I can't remember if I talked about this last week, so I'll just throw this out there. Uh, The glucocorticoids, right? Cortisol is one of those. But then we also have catecholamines, um, norepinephrine and epinephrine. And those are the ones that prepare the body to act immediately. So adrenaline is released immediately. Like as soon as you see a lion, a tiger, or bear, oh my, cortisol is a more gradual release. Uh, But it's the overall effect of the stress response, both releasing cortisol and releasing those catecholamines into the system. Um, And the whole purpose is to conserve energy for the central nervous system and for the skeletal system to prepare the body for an event 
right? A stressful event. This is a life or death situation according to your body. And of course, this system was not designed to be activated all the time. And so when it's activated all the time, like it is in modern day for so many of us, that's why we, we start to have these, these chronic conditions. And that's why it can start to lead to a disease state because you're, you're functioning or you're, you're operating against your, how your body's designed to function, if that makes sense. Um, that stress induced increase in cortisol is adaptive in the short term. So like we need it to survive. Sure. Uh, but then prolonged cortisol secretion and prolonged exposure to that cortisol can have damaging effects. Um, and this is both physically and psychologically. Okay. So it's, again, it's, it, cortisol is not bad. Uh, the stress response is not bad. We need it. It's when it goes, it swings out of balance and, and goes unchecked because of the chronic onslaught of stress. That's when it starts to create like really severe problems. So just as a reminder, excess cortisol, having too much cortisol, too much exposure to cortisol is catabolic. That is a breakdown state. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I sang a song about it last week. Um, so the body's breaking down, tissue's breaking down. Remember, we need to we need to break down glycogen to get glucose that that frees up sugar in our blood, which allows us to act and respond. But we also break down muscles to get amino acids like glutamine. We break down the lining of our gut to free up those amino acids. Um, we start to break down bone to free up calcium and magnesium, things that we need to do, we need to release for energy. Um, so it's really breaking down everything. It's one of the reasons that that cortisol issues are linked to osteoporosis. So if that's something that you are worried about or you struggle with, you know, you have to assess your your body's stress response. Um, so in so cortisol is catabolic. It's breaking things down. It's getting the body to release any stored resources because it's like, oh my God, uh, threat to survival. Like this is a life or death situation. Free up all the body's resources. We need them all. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. So that's what cortisol is doing. There always needs to be a balance of catabolic and anabolic activity in the body. So to compensate, the body releases anabolic hormones to counter the effect of cortisol. And one of those is DHEA. Um, DHEA functions, functions as an androgen um, and it has that anabolic build things up activity. It can reverse the immune suppression caused by high cortisol. Um, DHEA plays a very big role in the immune system. So if you do have immune disorders or low immunity, um, get your DHEA checked. It can stimulate bone stimulation to prevent osteoporosis. It increases muscle mass, decreases fat mass. So it's basically doing the like exact opposite of what cortisol is doing. It can also help the conversion of thyroid hormone T4 into active thyroid hormone T3. So if you have that conversion issue, get your DHEA checked. Um, it can also accelerate recovery from acute stress. So the two words that come to mind for me when I think about this hormone DHEA, resiliency and vitality. It's like the vigor in verve. It's the rebound. Like, okay, I just went through a hard time. Can I rebound from this? Like, how much energy do I have throughout the day? Like, how much get up and go do I have, right? If if you're not really feeling good, <laughs> like that doesn't sound like you, it, it's it's probably important to get your DHEA checked. And it does decline with age. It actually peaks in our 20s, but chronic illness can prematurely decline DHEA levels, um, which is not great. DHEA is also necessary for vaginal health, pelvic floor health, sexual health, breast health, bone health, brain health, um, and again, resiliency. So a very, very important hormone in the body. And so since it counteracts cortisol, seeing high cortisol and high DHEA on a lab, that actually looks, that's actually a normal stress response. Um, I do showcase this in that Instagram post that I was talking about. Free cortisol is high, metabolized cortisol is high, and DHEA was high. And that is really like this person is in an acute stress response. Their body is 
stressing out because under stress, cortisol rises and then your body does its job by raising up DHEA in order to protect the body against too much cortisol. When DHEA starts to drop low, that's when we get a little bit worried because it's no longer buffering cortisol's effects. It's no longer the that counterbalance action. Um, and this is when we can see sex hormones start to drop because DHEA is a precursor to some of the sex hormones. We can see immune function drop. We can see brain function drop. We need DHEA for so much. And so long-term stress really starts to grind down on that hormone. Okay. So we are, I'm, I'm throwing out all of these things and talking about tests. So let's talk really specifically about adrenal testing. Um, first things first, I, I think it's a good idea. You, you hear me talking about these hormones in relation to other hormones. Um, so when I talk about cortisol, I'm also mentioning like, hey, sex hormones, DHEA, thyroid stuff, right? They're all interwoven right? And so it, it's a good idea, if you can, to evaluate all three systems simultaneously. So you want to get a, a good picture of the adrenals. You want to get a good picture of the thyroid. You want to get a good picture of sex hormones, okay? That is why in your hormone revival, we look at all three. The Dutch test looks at sex hormones. It also looks at um, all the adrenal hormones, not all the adrenal hormones, but cortisol, DHEA, um, it also looks at melatonin, which really is is a powerful um, a powerful hormone in relation to all this stuff that we're talking about. Um, and then it looks at some organic acids for like B vitamins and glutathione. Anyway, it, it's good to get a beat on everything that's going on. But even if you see imbalance in the thyroid or the sex hormones you still always want to address the HPA axis first before trying to correct thyroid or ovarian hormone imbalances. And this is, you know, last week I kept saying that the HPA axis is the Achilles heel of the whole body. Like if that's not functioning properly, nothing is. So you really do want to start there. It's a, it is the starting place to address all the other imbalances and just trying to fix the problem by manipulating thyroid hormones or manipulating sex hormones without addressing the underlying adrenal involvement won't have long lasting effects. So you can go on like a progesterone cream and maybe feel better, but if it if it's the HPA axis, if it's that that's that's the underlying cause, you have to address that, right? Um in fact, I'm going to read this amazing DM that I got um okay. She writes, I've been wanting to send you a message and after your Instagram stories, thought today was a perfect day. I don't remember what I was talking about at the time. Oh, you know what it was? I was, there's a lot of Aaron Holt Health pregnancies, not me, um, but women that have worked with me that are getting pregnant. And so I was like, I just happened, like three or four different women reached out to me within a month. And so I was sharing that because I think it's awesome, obviously incredible. Um, so she goes on to say, I've been wanting to tell you whoops, mic issue. I've been wanting to tell you how much I appreciate the time and effort you put into your free content here on Instagram and the podcast. I was struggling to get pregnant using ovulation strips that were leaving me unsure if I was even ovulating. I had an appointment to check if I had PCOS or something causing my suddenly irregular cycle. And then I watched many of your Instagram stories about stress hormones, stress management, and eating well, and enough to help have good hormone levels. Oh, eating enough to help have good hormone levels. But with that, in listening to your podcast about understanding our cycles, I learned so much about my own body and felt empowered having a better understanding of my own body and my cycle. And now I'm pregnant. So again, I just really wanted to say how much I appreciate the hard work you put into your content here on Instagram and the podcast sharing so much of your knowledge with us for free. And I, I mean, how could I not get choked up reading that? That's amazing. And the reason that I'm reading that is twofold. One, starting, you know, when you're going through something hard, like infertility, um, it's, or, or any, you know, that's just the example I'm using because that's the example she used. It's so, you, you, it's so easy to try to go after the thing that's the problem, right? So I'm going to really focus on my ovarian hormones. But 
if your Achilles heel is broken or busted up, that's the thing that needs to be addressed first. And so here she's saying she addressed the stress. She made sure she wasn't adding any other additional stressors to her body by eating well uh, and eating enough and then understanding her female cycle. Holy smokes, that's incredible. Um, So this stuff is really, really important. It really is. Um, And I'm not just saying that. You know, I've got other people to back that up too. And then the other reason I shared that with you is because let's say you're like, I really want to do your hormone revival. I know it would be so good for me, but right now isn't the best time for whatever reason, maybe timing, finances, whatever. There's so much free content that I've put out. If you start to apply the information that I talk about on Instagram and here on the podcast, that is really the starting steps. And it might take you as far as you need to go. I get so many people reaching out to me saying, I've changed my life. I've changed my health. I've changed my body based on the podcast. Okay. So don't feel like you're missing out if you can't do the program right now. Of course, you'd, you'd benefit tremendously, but also just you know, do what you can do. Meet yourself where you're at right now. So let's talk about the functional labs because that's obviously what I do and where my skill set lies. Functional labs, things like salivary um, hormone testing, like through saliva, um, or urine testing, which is what the Dutch test is. Dutch stands for dried urine testing, um, those are not a full endocrine workup. So it's not a substitution for seeing an endocrinologist. What we're doing with these functional labs is checking for how your health is being impacted by stress. And then what we do in the program is really assess how can we break that cycle. That is the goal of functional medicine. That's the goal of your hormone revival. We want to address the body imbalance. We want to address the dysfunction before it becomes a diagnosable disease state. And that's where functional medicine truly, truly excels. Is like, let we know something's going on with you, right? You know something's going on with you. You feel off. Something's not right. You've gotten blood work from your doctor. You keep hearing that everything's fine. Everything's fine. But deep down inside, you know something's a little off. That's where the functional labs come into play. They can find those little somethings that are off. You can address them so it doesn't become a long-term issue. And there's just... I get goosebumps thinking about it because it's so freaking powerful. I was just having this conversation this morning with a friend of mine who is um, a healthcare professional. We were just talking about like catching things before they become so bad, you know, that they're almost irreversible. It's just, we just wish more people knew that this was an option for them. Um, And so I'm going to read one more one more thing, because I'm I'm hoping that some people can hear this and feel um, feel solace and like, eh, I don't know, it's a tough thing. But um, this is a woman that went through my program, my my beta round of your hormone revival, and she says, everyone I worked with on the conventional side of things said I was quote unquote the definition of health, and made me feel like maybe it was in my head that something could be wrong. Seeing on paper via my labs that there actually was an imbalance made me feel a lot less crazy. I wish I had known everything we learned in the course when I was growing up so I didn't have so many years of damage to undo now at 30. You clearly put more hours than I could ever imagine into research and putting that course together and you present it in a way that was fun and interesting. Um... So, I mean, it goes on, but that's that's the point that I really wanted to drive home is like that is what these functional labs do for people. It's the validation piece, right? Like you're not crazy. Here's what's going on. Help and having somebody help you analyze them and handhold you through the process of like, these are your next steps. Here's how we're going to start to correct you. She is feeling uh, other parts of her email talked about how she was feeling a lot better and got her husband eating good food and all that kind of stuff. The ripple down effect is one of my favorite things. Somebody does one of my programs and then the whole family starts eating better. Amazing. Um, okay. So then as far as, as far as, um, testing goes for, and I'm not going to get into thyroid testing here. Um, I did a whole show about that already, but I, um, 
I'm going to talk more specifically about cortisol because that's really what this show is about. So there's two ways to test. Well, there's three ways to test cortisol. You can test it in the blood, which is not, doesn't really tell you anything. If it would, it's a, if it's extraordinarily high, it might be like, I mean, that could be indicative of like a disease state, but testing cortisol in the blood is just like one little snapshot of where cortisol is that day. And cortisol functions on a rhythm. It's like the opposite of melatonin. It's like cortisol's the sun, melatonin's the moon. I think I've used this analogy before. So cortisol should start off pretty high during the day and then it slowly tapers down. Um, and so just getting one you know, one spot during the day isn't going to tell you your full cortisol picture. It just doesn't provide enough information to really like, um, you know, to, to really act on. So let's say you got your test first thing in the morning, your blood test first thing in the morning, um, and it showed high cortisol. Well, were you fasting? That could spike cortisol. Did you drink coffee before the test? That can spike cortisol. So it might not be a really accurate reading. Um, the other ways to do it, salivary is another one. And so salivary, that's saliva and you spit in tubes and that can showcase your, um, cortisol throughout the course of the day. So you spit in a tube and it shows you your free cortisol, and the, that free cortisol curve throughout the course of the day, which is really valuable information. So salivary stuff is great. Um, that's what I used to run in my practice. But then I switched over to urine um, via the Dutch test because it shows free cortisol and it shows metabolized cortisol. And you can actually get a Dutch plus test, which is dried urine and the salivary stuff. Um, I use Dutch Complete. Uh, because I think it gives gives good clinical data and um, I've had no problems with it and it's less expensive. So I'm always trying to save my clients money where I can. Um, so it shows two dials. And again, if you go to that Instagram post, you'll see what I'm talking about. It shows the free cortisol, which is really your circulating cortisol. And then it shows metabolized cortisol, um, which is your total cortisol production. It's really the best marker for overall production. And looking at the two dials together is, is very important. Um, so metabolized cortisol, I did get a question about metabolized cortisol. And, and, and just as I know a lot of you guys know this and, and you probably, I probably sound like a broken record. Um, and my apologies to the people that really respect my boundaries. Um, but I still have to keep saying this. I cannot field clinical questions in my DMS. I cannot answer your health questions in my DMS. I'm sorry. I wish I could, but I can't. The best that I can do if it's appropriate is to generally talk about your question on a podcast. Okay. Um, so if you don't hear back from me, if I ghost you, if I don't respond, or if I just say, I cannot answer DMS or clinical questions through DMS, it is not a personal thing. It's just so inappropriate for me to do so. And I have so much free content. Please utilize your own time to access that free content and don't make me do the labor. Um, it, that's a boundary that won't be broken and I will continue to hold it. Uh, forever and ever. And again, I'm just going to go off on a little tangent here because this is one of the ways that I protect my stress and my own cortisol. Um, the re I have so many practitioners, healthcare providers, uh, nutritionists, dietitians, health coaches, yoga teachers, doctors, um, NPs, uh, lots of you guys listening to the show. Um, and I... I, this isn't a business podcast and I'm not a business expert, but I know that I have a, not, a lot of entrepreneurs. And so when I talk about boundaries, I'm, I'm talking about it on a public platform for a reason. It's not just to scold the people that break my boundaries, but it's to showcase to other healthcare providers, you can hold boundaries too. It's okay for you to do that. Um, I think it's, 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 we commonly get gaslighted for it and that's not cool. Um, so just keep showing up, holding your boundaries and your boundaries might look way different than mine. Some people love to answer, uh, questions through DMs. Love it, love it, love it. Um, but just know, you know, protect your own HPA access by protect, protecting your own boundaries. There's nothing wrong with it. If somebody's offended, that's on them. That's not for you to take on. And I will say that every time I set up, not every time, most of the time I set a boundary with someone, they are so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? So gracious and just, just, we're like, oh my God, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I was doing that. You know? So it's not a scary thing. Sometimes people are, do act a fool and do gaslight you and criticize you and whatever. And they can just keep it moving, keep it moving. Anyway, I'm going to keep it moving to metabolize cortisol.
Okay. Um, so metabolized cortisol. <laughs> it's like, wow, that was a tangent. Where do these things come from? It's similar to total uh, cortisol output. How much, um, how, it also showcases how the liver is processing it because that's where where cortisol gets metabolized in the liver. Um, it shows how much cortisol the body has made throughout the day, like what the body's actually making. But what it doesn't tell us is how it's being utilized. So there's different pathways that it can go down. The free cortisol dial is showing us utilization. How much, like how your body's trying to use cortisol, how much cortisol is free in the blood, what the body is actually trying to do with the cortisol that it's making. Because free cortisol is the stuff that does the action, right? It's the stuff that goes to the brain, goes to the immune system, talks to the, it does all the functions, right? It's the free cortisol. So you want to look at both of these dials and you want these two dials to be pointing in the same direction roughly. You want them to be matched up with one another because like I said earlier, the body is always about efficiency. It wants to make exactly how much it needs, no more, no less. It wants to use what it makes, wants to be all sorts of balanced. So if they're not pointing in the same direction, something is off. Um, There's an underlying reason for it. And so you want to really start to think about what that underlying reason could be. And, you know, when I say you, I mean you with your healthcare provider that's helping you analyze your Dutch test. Um, if metabolized cortisol is high and your free cortisol is low, something is telling your body to make more cortisol. If metabolized is low and free is high, the body's not making much, but it's holding on to whatever it can. If both dials point to low, that that's tr- is a true low cortisol picture. If both dials are pointing to high, that's a true high cortisol picture. They match. There's no underlying issue. It's really straightforward. It's when those dials are mismatched um, that that you need to start like thinking, like looking under the hood. And I did have a question through uh, through Instagram, what could be the underlying causes of the mismatched dials? That's something for you to explore with your practitioner um, based on your health history and other things that might be going on. There's a lot of follow-up questions that, that, you, that I would wanna ask you in order to answer that question. Okay, um, with the free cortisol pattern, this is what I was talking about earlier. There's four different samples the, the first one you do upon waking, so that gives you an idea of your cortisol during the sleep. It, it gets all stored up in your urine, and then you do the first mor- uh, morning void, your first pee-pee in the morning. Um, the second one is morning. Uh, so there really should be a big surge from the first to the second collection. I talked about cortisol awakening response last last week. Um, so that's why you should see that surge. If you don't see that surge, that's a problem. Uh, you're not getting the get up and go signals from the brain. So you have to unpack why that could be. Uh, in the late afternoon, it should start to decline and then it should be low at bedtime because you don't want high cortisol at bedtime or you can't fall asleep. So if you see a little cortisol spike at night, that can be why you're not sleeping. And in fact, if you have sleep struggles, you this is a test that you really, really would want to get. And then um, on top of that, we have something called cortisone. So cortisol comes in two different forms. We have the active cortisol and we have the inactive cortisone. Um, Cortisol can be converted to cortisone, uh, the inactive form, and then they can convert back and forth to each other. And when you see a Dutch test, you'll see which one your body has the preference for. There's a gauge and you can uh, see which one is predominating. Is it the active cortisol or the inactive cortisone? And then we can analyze that gauge within the context of your symptoms and how you're feeling. And that's a pretty important part of the test. It's not super, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Appropriate? Nah. Uh, it, it doesn't apply to everybody. It's not, it doesn't hold a lot of weight for every single person, but there are some people who are like, oh, this, this gauge is really significant. Okay, so how... 
I want to talk about how chronically high cortisol can become a low cortisol problem because with the stress response, like with this activated stress response, you think that we would always just have high cortisol all the time. Uh, but that's not the case. I see a lot of Dutch tests come back with very, very low cortisol. And I think before we start this conversation, the very first thing you have to realize is that your body is your best friend. And so most if not all of what it does, it's trying to protect you. It's trying to keep you alive. Um, so we need active cortisol in the tissue for it to affect you. If it's being converted back to cortisone, that inactive form, your body's not going to have enough active or free cortisol around to have the impact that it needs to. And that's a protective mechanism. That is your body trying to protect you. When the body wants to slow down, if you've been under a lot of stress, if you've been ill, you've had a, like an illness or a sickness, um, maybe a, a surgery or something like that, an injury, your body will start to favor cortisone. Um, it will start to inact inactivate cortisol. It's this built-in mechanism that's saying, hey, let's heal. It's time to heal now. I'm going to make you really, really tired so you can slow down and rest and not push yourself, right? And so this is where I really pay attention to that cortisol and cortisone gauge um, in those two different graphs because I'm like, is your body begging you to slow down and you're not listening, right? Uh, we can get the actual data. And I will say that sometimes just seeing this on paper is enough of the um, impetus for people to like make radical change in their life. They're like, holy smokes, the labs don't lie, right? Um, now, if you have low total production, low free cortisol, and a preference for cortisone, this is like double trouble. You're, you already don't have much. So you already have low cortisol. And then whatever you do have is being deactivated. So you're more likely to experience deep, severe symptoms of fatigue. Um, remember that cortisol is a powerful, potent, necessary hormone, but if it goes unchecked, it can become damaging and catabolic to the body. So if the body notices elevated cortisol, it might start to convert more inactive cortisone or like take that cortisol and, and deactivate it to cortisone to minimize the damage from chronically elevated cortisol because your body knows. Your body knows too much cortisol is too much. So it has this mechanism to deactivate cortisol. Um, but sometimes the body, when it's trying to do a good thing, can overcompensate and you can end up with low cortisol. Um, and, and then finally, if you have these chronically high elevated cortisol levels, so if you're under stress, you're pumping out cortisol, the body also tries to protect itself from the damaging effects of the high cortisol and it down regulates the activity of the HPA axis. Um, and it programs it to consistently under respond to stressors. This is a maladaptive response, meaning that the body's trying to do a really good thing and protect you from those high cortisol levels, but it can overcompensate and we can end up with an underactive HPA axis and chronically low cortisol levels. It's like a programming that happens. Um, and this seems to be the case with ACE, uh, adverse childhood experiences. You can, when you go through trauma at a young age under 18, you can lose the ability to appropriately engage with your HPA axis. Um, and so it can chronically under respond. And this is one of the reasons that children who experience trauma um, end up with, can end up with chronic illness later in life. Um, okay. So let's see, let me check the time clock, 44 minutes. Imagine if I had done all of this in one episode last week. All right. So briefly, I want to touch upon the causes of adrenal fatigue. I mean, it's really, a lot of it has to do with modern life. Modern life is stressful. Modern life is very, very different than, uh, what our genes are accustomed to. And so um, modern life is rife with stress. Obviously, stress is going to be the first place to start. I've talked about stress a bazillion times on the podcast for good reason. Um, and it could be a major life stressor like a death, a divorce, 
childbirth, um, moving, um, you know, like the big ones. Um, it could also simply be you're overworked, right? Overworked, under-resourced, you have no downtime, you have no time to rest, or you don't give yourself time to rest and relax, or you feel guilty every time you sit down to rest and relax. You, you don't give yourself permission to enjoy things, have fun. Um, if you have no built-in stress relief practices, no way to unwind, maybe you do some self-medicating with alcohol, with drugs, with overeating, with shopping, um, PS, those don't count as stress relief practices. Um, again, early, uh, life trauma, childhood trauma that could really play into your stress response later in life. And there are certain psychological triggers that, that strongly activate the HPA access. It's really, it's, it's, what's happening on an emotional level too. Um, uncertainty, conflict, lack of control, lack of information, unmet emotional needs can also trigger the HPA access. And if you experienced any of those in your childhood, um, that can really can really impact the, the whole entire stress response. And um, a lot of these, like I am for sure a control freak. So all of those things, if I feel uncertain, if I don't know what to expect, um, if I feel out of control in a situation, all of that, I immediately go into a stress response. Um, that's that's something that I'm aware of that I have to work on, but it's very, very real for me. Um, other things that can contribute to adrenal fatigue, unmetabolized emotion. Um, that is, I'm pretty sure Gabor Mate came up with that term, unmetabolized emotion. It's basically habitually repressing your emotion. Um, that That chronically activates the HPA axis. Um, that is a very, very big thing we dive into and explore in your hormone revival because I think it's such a, a big topic. It's not like, hey, just do more yoga. You know, that could be really helpful, but uh, there's usually deeper stuff that we have to we have to access. Um, diet plays a very big role. The standard American diet, nutrient poor, highly uh, high inflammatory foods, high in carbs, high in sugar, uh, synthetic sweeteners, artificial flavors, color, synthetic additives, things that our body like simply do not understand, like cannot compute that can activate the stress response. Um, blood sugar dysregulation is wildly inflammatory to the body, wildly stressful to the body. So uh, adrenal issues and blood sugar issues often go hand in hand. They, there's a very intimate connection there. They can kind of play off of each other. So, and that's why I always, well, always, the past, <laughs> the past two times um, ran Carb Compatibility Project directly before your hormone revival. So um, those folks with blood sugar issues can go through the program, go through the CCP, regulate their blood sugar, and then come out like ready to really tackle the hormonal stuff. Um, food sensitivities, poor digestion, anything going on in the gut uh, can all trigger stress in the brain. Excessive dietary restriction, under eating calories, under eating carbs, having a lot of food rules, a lot of food fear, a lot of food stress. This is something that um, we're unpacking in the CCP right now, like this, this diet dogma and like, where did you, where did you hear um, this information, like really, really thinking about that. Let me see if I can find. Okay. Um, I grabbed this, this off of Instagram. It's from Christina Johnson, who is a, an encouraging dietitian. She calls herself. That's sweet. I like that. As you're processing through and letting go of food rules, ask yourself, whose voice is this? That's something that we're working through in CCP right now. Where did you get this information? Where did you get these beliefs? Where did you get these rules? Who put this in your head? Think about that. Um, fasting and intermittent fasting is a significant stressor to the body. Um, I know nobody wants to believe me. I don't really care. Do you, boo? Do you. Uh, Low-carb diets coupled with intense exercise. So um, 
low carb diets aren't bad in and of themselves. They become problematic when you combine low carb and low calorie, or you combine low carb, low calorie, and over exercise, or you combine low carb and intense exercise. This is kind of a one way ticket to adrenal fatigue. Um, so be mindful of that. Any type of over exercising, um, this is a hard one for people to let go of. And I see it as a real deal breaker when it comes to trying to heal adrenal issues um, is tempering their their workouts. That's a tricky one. Um, and I did a whole podcast episode on exercising with adrenal fatigue. And I was actually thinking about doing an episode of like, exercising with injury or like how to modify your workout so you don't have to completely stop. So that might be coming down the pipe or pike. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Um, All right. And then finally sleep, right? We've talked about this on the show before, getting less than seven hours of sleep on a regular basis, um, not having enough time to sleep because you have so much on your plate, getting that in Uh, uninterrupted sleep, or excuse me, interrupted sleep where you're waking up multiple times a night, restless sleep, um, stressful thoughts keeping you awake. That can also grind down on the HPA axis. And then we have inflammation, which is a strong activator of the HPA axis. Um, As I mentioned before, dysregulated cortisol is found in a variety of inflammatory conditions, um, autoimmune diseases, uh, also IBD, multiple, multiple sclerosis, uh, dermatitis, right? Everyone thinks a skin issue is a skin issue. It is not what's going on under the hood. What's going on with the gut? What's going on with the brain? What's going on with the gut brain access? Do you have food sensitivities? I do have a, um, I do have an upcoming show on skin stuff, and I'm hoping that sheds a lot of light on uh, on that subject. Um, and then finally, and this is where I'll close out for anybody that is on thyroid medication, over-medicating the thyroid can cause HPA axis problems because every time you increase, you feel better, right? Uh, but what you're really doing is pressing the gas on the adrenals which then stimulates the thyroid, and then you have the quote-unquote energy, and you do more, and you burn yourself out again, and then you just repeat the process by increasing your thyroid dose. So be mindful of that. That's like that's kind of a it's not a very common one, right? But be mindful of if that's the case. Um, you know, if you increase your thyroid medications and you're like, I'm I'm shaky, uh, but I like it because I I don't have an appetite. I'm not eating, and I can do all the things. You're going to crash, my friend. You're going to crash. Okie doke. So that is it, you guys. Um, Another episode in the books and I will be back next week. I hope you're all having a great week. Hope 2020 is going well for you guys. And that's it. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you.